Last night about 8 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock, uh, we returned from Iraq, a uh, trip, our team here, uh, for the last 10 days. Most of you are familiar with our heart and love for Iraq. Some of you aren't. About four years ago, in fact, it was four years ago, in 2014, we began to see what was happening to our brothers and sisters in Iraq, where ISIS was pushing them out and many of them losing their lives and the fathers and children were separated and hundreds of thousands of people were being pushed out of their villages where ISIS was taking over, robbing them of all their money, taking their possessions, and then they found themselves as refugees. I was in my office going through a series of messages here at Grace Community in the book of First John called Light It Up. And as I was beginning to study for the passage that week, I was seeing all the images and all the videos that you were seeing on CNN. And I came across this passage that was for that very Sunday, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, and I'll read it to you today. And as I read this passage that had these verses in it, the Spirit of God just confirmed, approved, nodded, poked, used whatever word you want in my heart that we needed to do something after reading this. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I remember coming across that, and I'm just, I began to weep. I was sitting at my office in my chair, and I just began to cry, and, and knowing that God wanted us as a church to do something. I just couldn't sit there. And so we began to make some calls um, with friends of friends who knew friends and called some mission organizations. And as we were making contacts with mission organizations, the majority of them said, get out of the country. And so we were running against block after block, wall after wall. But I felt compelled that we should go. And our leadership team felt compelled that we should go. And so by God's grace and his orchestration, There was a friend of a friend of a friend who lived in Canada, who once was an Iraqi citizen, who had fled years ago because of the Iraq-Iran controversy and war. She was now living in Canada. She knew a friend that knew a friend. And so we made a connection with her and we found out that she had a son-in-law by the name of Malat that was a pastor in Erbil, Iraq. We didn't know either of them. We didn't know from Adam or Eve. So we began to make a, have a conversation through Skype, talking to them and getting to know them a little bit. And the plan was this. We as a team, eight of us, were going to fly into Erbil um, uh, and, and meet this group. It was September the 11th when we flew. Our first flight was into Turkey on September 11th. We landed in Turkey and we're looking for this woman by the name of Insaf, who we knew was a believer And she was checking us out and looking at our Facebook photos and profile pictures too because these Americans were coming. What happened? We met her there and then we flew with her to Iraq, landed in Iraq. And I'll never forget as our first team went in, we walked outside of these doors knowing that God had us there for a purpose and a reason to reach, uncertain exactly how it was all going to play out, knowing that there was a contact by the man by the name of Pastor Malath. We stood in a circle And this phrase came to mind as we were planning this. I knew that we not only, 
God wanted us to do something, but he wanted boots on the ground. And we formed a circle, the eight of us, and we put our hands together. And on three, we said, boots on the ground. It was 114 degrees that morning at 4 a.m. in the morning. Met these Iraqi staff members. They took us to this hotel. And that began what we would call Grace for Iraq. We began reaching and caring and loving, and you began giving and supporting. And we even did so much as to put money together, resources together, that we were taking refugees under the auspice in the ministry of Malaf's church so that the people could go there. And we put people into homes, apartment complexes, for six months to 12 months at a time, fed them, gave them money, rescued them off the streets. That was four years ago. I just went back for my four trip, and some of us have been back two or three times. But on this trip, we began to see, as we did on the last trip, what has happened as a result of that seed being fertilized and what God is doing now in Kurdistan, as we understand, Iraq. I'm going to show you a video here that kind of tells our story of our journey this time. And you're going to see in this video, you're going to see a men's conference that we were able to do. You're going to see a woodshop clinic that we put on trying to create a skill for the men there. You're going to see a hopeful hands ministry for the women that some of you even purchased some, some bags and some Bible covers and some purses. You'll see a Sunday evening service. They meet on Sunday night because Muslims don't have ch- church as we understand. Friday is their day off, so they meet on Sunday evening after they work all day. You'll see a place where we fed two different villages. You will see us standing in El Kosh where Nahum the prophet prophesied and where his bones were buried. You will see us with the young adult group on Thursday night preaching and doing some fun games with them. You'll see us out and about with conversations, meeting the barbers. One of the things I love to do when I go to different countries is to go back and visit barbers and get your hair cut because you have this ongoing relationship Paul often went to all kinds of tradesmen and got to know them. So the 12 of us went in and got haircuts at one place. And this is the fourth time in for me. We built a relationship. We planted the seed of the gospel. You'll see us worshiping in a bus, traveling through northern Kurdistan, up near Duhuk, and us singing along with a couple Iraqi believers. This is our journey in a snapshot. Take a look at this. Desperation When all we know is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe We believe In this broken When all is dark, you help us see There is only one salvation Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given 
a fantastic 11 days. Um, thanks for sending us and letting us represent you, Grace Community. Um, Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Erbil loves you <laughs> very much. And they're so grateful for the way that God has linked us together to support them. When we went there four years ago, our first visit in, it was a group of about 75 people. And because of the ISIS pressure, many people were pushed out, and this church began to reach out. And Pastor Maloth said this time again with us, he said that you, Grace Community Church, Pastor Jim, created a big problem for us. <laughs> he said our church has grown, we have people from all walks of life, we're seeing Muslims come to Christ, Kurds come to Christ, Iraqis come to Christ, 
And now their walls are expanding that his last visit here with us, he noticed our North Auditorium and our South Auditorium, they realized they have trouble meeting because they have to meet in the evening on Sunday night, so it's difficult for them to have two services. So they created a satellite venue for people to sit in. He said that we learned that from Grace Community Church. (laughs) Praise God for that. They had their largest worship service attendance the Sunday night that we were there. They had 299 people in attendance. We praise God for that. Many, many of these same have went back to the homes they've been pushed out of by ISIS. They're on the brink of planting churches, have already planted a church. And so many are going back to the cities and planting churches. They've been saved, they've been discipled, and now they're going back. God is doing amazing work there. We'll try to, in a short period of time, give you a small snapshot by telling you specific stories of what we witness with hopes that somehow it encourages you, builds your faith, and lets you know that we serve a great God. Josh, you have a microphone. What's something specific that you remember from this trip? Yeah, so I think to a story that um, happened on our second to last day out there. Um, so Insaf, who is Pastor Ralas' mother-in-law, she was also in Erbil. She lives in Canada, um, but she was in Erbil while we were there, and she asked us to join her on a visit to go visit this woman in a village. Um, She had some money from a sister who lives in Canada that she was going to pass on to this woman. Um, And so we decided to go. It wasn't part of the plan of the trip or anything, kind of a last-minute thing. Yeah, we'll we'll go with you. Um, And so while we were on the way there, through a series of events, we decided to um, buy food supplies for the village to feed the families in this village. There's 140 families um, 120 of them are Christian families and 20 Muslim families. Um, so we end up brokering a deal, finally finding a spot where um, we can buy the supplies in bulk. It was like a back alley in Accra, Iraq, kind of. It was a little uncomfortable situation, but um, we brokered a deal, bought the supplies, and um, handed over the money, and they agreed to deliver it. So we were hopeful that they would follow through and deliver it. Um, so we went on to this village, and um, we meet this woman um, who's physically handicapped, and she lives with her sister and brother-in-law, um, and come to find out their mother had died the day before. Um, and as part of Iraqi tradition, the family um, is supposed to provide a meal uh, to everybody that comes to the funeral, um, but they were so poor that they couldn't do that. Um, and through God's sovereignty... Through us, um, not only did that family end up providing a meal, but eight to ten days' worth of food for the entire village, for every family in that village. And it was all through God's working, lining things up. Pretty awesome. It was an incredible event to, to be able to step into God's. Yeah, they, it was, when, you, when, you, when you jump in in the middle of the center of God's will, he does some amazing things. Um, Jason, what's the Pacific story that you remember? Well, and just to give you an idea, just kind of the, the heart of the people of, of Kurdistan. Um, several days into the trip, you know, we kind of got this craving just for something cold, uh, get a dessert. And uh, order our food, and we're like, dessert menu. We don't have dessert, is what they said. Um, and we're like, ah, it's okay, no big deal. We're, we're wrapping up our meal, and we're sitting there. We're, the guy's like waving at Jim, no, 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 you wait, sit, sit. Um, they sent one of their workers running down the road to find ice cream for us and brought it back for us. And 
you know, I, I had that thought in America, you know, we go to a store, they, the restaurant, they run out of steak sauce. We're like, no, we're out, sorry. <laughs> they literally sent this guy down the road and then wouldn't charge us for it. They gave it to us. They wanted to honor us. And you run into that time and time again there. And it's just one of those things that I just wish we had more here. I wish it was like that more here sometimes. But it's the, essentially, that is the heart of the Kurdistan people. And I made sure when I talked to guys, I said, make sure you finish your plates. <laughs> and they're like, okay, ice cream and sweets, we'll do it. One of the uh, opportunities that, that Newer had, who was Pastor Malaf's wife, and she's setting up the hopeful hand. Some of you bought some of the, the, the purses and bags and Bible covers. She was interviewed by a TV um, uh, interviewer that day while, after we were there. And in the morning, I, I shared with her the next day. She said, yeah, I got on TV, Iraqi TV yesterday. And they were talking about hopeful hands. And I told them there was this group of Americans that were here um, that were they purchased 90 bags or 80-some bags, and they really assisted us. And she said, yeah. She says, I've seen them running through the cities every morning. <laughs> um, we would get up every morning, just about every morning, go for a run and do a workout together, and we would prayer run through the city. And uh, she said, yeah. She said, not only have we seen them, everyone knows they're in town. <laughs> so uh, <coughs> it's, it's easy to see 12 Americans run, running through a city. Uh, Dave, what's a specific story that you have? I'm going to say something, but uh, every one of these guys is going to know what I say. Hello, 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 <laughs> hello. <laughs> uh, one morning when we, <laughs> when we were running out, there's a group of Iraqi guys that, that was right by where we come out every morning. And that's what we'd hear every morning. They would say that to us as we ran by. Well, then on our way back from that run, we were coming in. There's a lot of traffic right there. And now there's 12 of us trying to get through. So there's a lot of traffic, you know, all over. And they jumped up and stopped all the traffic and let us all run right through. So it's pretty cool. Um, but a special one to me um, is uh, we went to visit some villages and um, and and people there. Like like you'll hear every one of us say that when we go into there, they always give you everything they have. Like they will lay, they will empty the refrigerator out for a guest. It, it, it's amazing and. Um, so we had this one opportunity to go in and see this see this lady that had just had breast surgery and cancer, and uh, um, it, it, she was fresh a couple of days off of it, and she was really hurting, and you could tell she was she was hurting. She was in one of the pictures up there, and uh, that was just really close to me because of what we went through with with my wife and everything. And then um, we had the opportunity to just love on her and, and pray for her, and and even though she was feeling bad, she didn't she didn't turn us away. She wanted us to come into her house. And still be with her. That was it. Was really powerful. So, yeah, yeah, praise God for that opportunity, that touch of love. Sometimes you go, you don't know what you're going to walk into. Brock, what's a specific story that you you have? Well, I knew that when we left, I told my wife that I'd be safe. And uh, but typical Jim Brown style, we get off the plane and and uh, we uh, go to our hotel room, stay the night, wake up next morning, we're running right through the middle of Iraq. <laughs> And uh, I'm thinking, okay, like, all right, we'll be okay. So then we get back, we shower up, and then we all put on matching shirts, and we go to the church, and that's one of the pictures you saw. And so as we're walking to the church, I'm like, man, we are not flying under the radar at all. <laughs> so then we get to the church, and, and uh, I'm thinking, okay, they know us. And uh, one of the things we wanted to do the first day was pour into the men. That was one of the things that we were there for. That was our mission, is to pour into the men. And Jim kind of was like, all right, we're going to play some games, and 
it got to the game portion after he had spoke, and Jim was like, you know, Brock, hey, go up on stage and kind of lead us through some games. And we started off, if you saw, like we were just throwing ping pong balls into a cup, you know, we're doing simple games, and they're having some fun. And then we went to puzzles, I think, was the next one. They're kind of having some fun. And then it was like, all right, it's plank time. Like, we got to go into planks. So we go into planks, and they start doing planks, and it's just like you could see in the pictures. They went from, like, sitting in their seats to, like, they were up in front of their face, like, screaming at them in competition. So it didn't matter. If you're a man, you know, you understand that. You get it. Like, it was just straight competition. So they're going, and I just remember looking over to Jim, and I'm like, should we stick with the physical and he's like stick with the physical so the next thing you know we're doing arm wrestling right and so like they're like we can't even get pictures that's why you didn't really see too many pictures of the arm wrestling because we're trying as hard as we can to get pictures we can't get over top of their heads that they're so just in into it and then I looked at Jim and I'm like stick with the physical and he's like stick with the physical so I'm like all right tug of war so we're like thinking to ourselves if you saw the room we're like all right we're gonna like move some chairs and do tug of war not Jim Brown style. Jim Brown's like, let's go out in the streets. And we're like, huh? He's like, let's go out in the streets. So we literally go out in the middle of the road, and we're playing tug of war in the middle of the road. And one of the things they were always like, we always tried to put together a, a fight club team. They're like, we don't want to go against the fight club team. So at the end, they went against the fight club team. The winner got to go against the fight club team. And I will say that they, I think they added a couple more men on their side, but they they managed to compete and they beat us, but that was kind of the concept I wanted to get across to you is like, we didn't really do anything under the radar. Um, God literally was with us every single step, mm-hmm. and as much as that can be uncomfortable and push us out of our comfort zones, um, it strengthened every single one of us, and hopefully we were able to impact them, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we were. And I, I just wanted to thank you guys for your support and everything that you did to, to give to us because this right here is one heck of a team of men that went in and poured into them, and I think we left a good impact. Yeah, praise God. We had an opportunity during the men's conference, which was awesome to, to be part of. Pastor Merloth had said on, to me on numerous times, there's plenty of things for women. We have women's conferences. We have women getting together. We have women's Bible studies. But there isn't much for the men, very similar to America. Men's ministry in America mostly is once a month, have breakfast on a Saturday morning, eat something together, and move on. And so he was encouraged that we're coming to do this men's conference. Uh, and, and so we did it. We we shared, after one of the sessions, he came up to me, he said, Pastor Jim, you just, like, put it out there. You, you tell them like it is. And he said, he said in, in Iraq, we're very closed. I said, yeah, just tell and In one of the sessions, I told him, brush your teeth. Act like a man. Don't act like an animal. Um, and he was like, well, they need to. You know, so, um, but in the third session that we did, we felt compelled to share the gospel um, with the men because many of these men that came didn't go to Malaf's church. They had heard about this group of Americans coming, doing this men's conference, so they traveled from different places. There were Muslims, Kurds, Iraqis, and uh, many from Malaf's church that came. And so we felt we just need to share the gospel with these men. And we shared the gospel at the end of the third session, the last session of the day, and 40 men made decisions for Jesus Christ. 40 men made decisions for Jesus Christ. Yeah, praise God. Unbelievable. Patrick, why don't you share something specifically that took place? All right, real quick though, about the planking. Mike Gingrich, if you somehow hear this, I represented us for us, and we are 2-0 now against Iraq. So. <laughs> uh, By the way, we were all yelling, U-S-A, U-S. Patrick had the whole USA on his back on that one there. <laughs> 
He is the defending, I would say, champion of planking in, in our rack. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's just so many moments that I could talk to you about, but one of the best ones was that the carpentry conference. Uh, I mean, we, these guys came in. Yeah, they, they didn't know what was going on. They actually didn't really want to do anything. They kind of stood off to the side, arms crossed, stone-faced. We kind of pulled them, pulled them over and started pulling people into groups, saying, okay, this is what we're doing. Just simple little designs, a couple shelves, tables. Uh, but after a while, they started loosening up, and next thing you know, they're taking the tools out of our hands, saying, I'll do this, I'll do this. And then it came to, well, I've done this, I'll, and they designed their own piece of furniture, saying, oh, well, now I want to do this. And so they're going over to the, giving Jim the measurements. They're cutting their own wood, putting it together, staining it. And um, the one picture you saw, the guy in the green, his name is Safe. Uh, he built that table. That was all his idea. And you just the, the look on his face when he got done, I mean, that guy was on cloud nine. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just so proud of what he just put together out of just one-by-threes or one-by-fours. And, I mean, here we probably take that for granted, but for there, I mean, that was, that was their pride and joy. And so we, we were able to teach them something that now they're going to go out and they're going to teach others. In fact, there's a little kid that when he went home, he put on his own little wood carpentry clinic with, his, with all the neighborhood kids, <laughs> showing them, this is what I just learned today. Watch me. Let's build something. So, I mean, it's, you can kind of like they're saying, you can take a guy to get by him a fish, feed him that day, but teach him how to fish, you feed him for his lifetime. And I feel we just did that. It was a great opportunity to teach a man because Iraq obviously doesn't have much wood, and so it's imported in. But the, the surrounding countries, Turkey and Iran, are damming up all of their water supplies coming in Iraq because they don't want them to have water. And, and a lot of the land that you and I know as Tigris River, Euphrates River, is drying up because of the pressure from there. And so they imported some wood, and so now by God's grace, showed them a skill. And the, any man, when you make something, you accomplish something, you find value in that. We were able to, with them, to, to make 29 pieces of furniture while we were there. And so uh, it was awesome when we were leaving our last uh, visit that we had at the Citadel, which is the oldest living, consistently inhabited city in the world. We visited. We went there to home. And they always bring you out these plastic tables, and they put uh, Turkish tea on there. They call it chai. They always serve you up tea. In the last home we went to, they brought out plastic, 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 and they went, wait a minute, walked outside and brought out one of the wood tables that they had made and served some tea on it. It was pretty awesome. Kevin, what's one specific story that you have that you can share today? Uh, One of the specific stories, uh, actually, that just crossed my mind as we were sitting up here now, uh, there was a gentleman sitting on the... uh, right off the sidewalk, um, right by where we were staying. So we had passed him 10 to 16 times a day. Um, he had two small children with him, and he had a box where he would shine shoes. Uh, and, and in general, every time we'd go by, someone would give. Um, they also got a lot of candy, so hopefully they have uh, some toothbrushes. Uh, <laughs> but I think it was our last day. Um, we had went, and went to go grab some supplies uh, just down the road, couple storefronts and uh me and jason jason were standing outside and uh the roads are pretty pretty empty it's still pretty early and uh he wa- this gentleman walks up to us and says you guys want a drink you know and i was like no we're fine and uh he walked over to one of the cases and actually took a cold drink out of it and he goes one of these and uh you know no we're okay you know i appreciate it thank you 
And uh, after, after he had left, um, we had realized that the gentleman that was offering to buy us drinks was the same guy that was sitting on the curb shining shoes. And to me, you know, that's, that's earth-shaking stuff. It's, it's small uh, in, in monetary value, but I, I just uh, I couldn't believe uh, the love. And, and uh, we could sit up here uh, for the rest of the day and just talk about how, how much we were loved. We all felt like we were going over there to, uh, to sharpen them, but every one of the guys here uh, are more keen um, from our from our from this experience, and we praise God for that. Mm-hmm. I tell you uh, another story that there's a lady there that now works for the church. Her name is Feta. She is kind of like the administrator of the church. She's Mama. Like, don't mess with Mama. And uh, she has a great story, and we love her to pieces. And I'm not kidding you. Like, she she just give you a big hug, and she told her story. And you might have seen. Um, I, I'm going to place that one up on Facebook, but. She was pushed out of her city, her village, along with her family, and um, because of ISIS, and we heard some horrible stories too, you've seen them, there's no sense in repeating them, um, but she got pushed out and found herself along the streets in her bill, living on the side of the street, and she began to pray to her God and said, God, find me a place to live, like, I've trusted you all these years, God, you said that you, your promises are good. And now I'm on the side of the street in her bill. I lost everything. We lost our home. My husband lost his job. My kids are with me, and I have nothing. She said she prayed for two days. She said she came to the end of the second day, and she was mad at God. She says, God, you're not good on your promises. You're not coming through. You promised that you would come through me, and she was angry, mad. And she said, so I said, I'm done with God. I'm done. And she said 30 seconds later, someone had walked across the street, crossed the street, from the last church, who had been connected with us and was ready, was looking for people to put in the apartments that you had provided for, walked across the street and saw her and said, hey, we're trying to find people to place in apartments. <laughs> Do you need a place to stay? 30 seconds after she said she was done, she said for two weeks, she was so ashamed of herself. <laughs> To hear her tell her, so she, she walked with her head down because she was embarrassed. Not, she wouldn't, didn't want to look up at God. This is the same lady that now orchestrates and leads and administers, uh, or administrates a lot of what's happening there in the last church. Just another story of how God can come through in a powerful way. Jay, what's one specific story that you have? Um, so many, obviously, like everybody else has been saying. Uh, a quick pitch for, for missions. If you ever feel that pull uh, and you think, man, I, I just don't have it. I don't, and, you know, all these guys are excellent. They're amazing guys. And like Kevin was saying, you kind of go with that thought of like, oh, what can I give? But uh, we, God doesn't send us because we're, we're special or important. God sends us because who we're going to, they're special, they're important. And it's all part of uh, what God wants to do there. Um, and it's amazing going to another country and not knowing anybody, barely knowing language. Uh, uh, we, we look different. We kind of act different. That's obvious. And... Uh, <clears throat> Tell us a specific story. Yep. I'm, uh, Get there. Come on, man. They, that's what they want to hear. I'm getting there. Okay. So uh, Saad, who was, uh, worked at the church, he's one of the administrators there, helps out. Um, he told us uh, stories of, of how even um, his neighbor uh, was uh, one of the Peshmerga soldiers, and he comes in, he knocks on the door, he says, 15 minutes, um, ISIS is coming through. Get your stuff and go. And so this guy even working in the church, has been through the same things that, that those hmm. he's helping then has been through as well. 
but still he has such a great heart. He, he's this amazing guy. Um, he, I asked him how to say my friend to him, and, and he tells me, and, I, and I, I say it, and he's like, no, 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 no. You just said my girlfriend. So, <laughs> so the whole rest of the trip, you know, I mean, it's their custom. They give, you a, they give you a big hug, and they kind of kiss you on the cheeks. So every time he comes up, he gives me this little, little like, kiss on the cheek. He's like, Sadiqti, which means my girlfriend, you know. And it's just, yeah, you know. So it, it's just amazing going to another country and meshing hearts like that. And if you ever get a chance, do it. Jump on it. Amen. Phil, what's a specific story that you have that you could share? Uh, I guess what was really moving to me is, is uh, as we were out and about just shaking hands and, and uh, hugging people and, and out and about, uh, uh, an elderly man who was a, a Meshperga uh, fighter. And uh, he, uh, uh, I reached my hand out uh, to give him a handshake, and he, he pulled my hand up and kissed my hand. And I just really moved me. Uh, you know, I didn't do anything to deserve that kind of respect, you know, but the respect they have for the men in our country who fought beside them, you know, it's just, uh, it's a foundation that, that uh, we were able to build on, you know, as a church to go over there and to, uh, to pour into people. And just the love they have for us, uh, you just, you don't feel worthy. You know I mean? Uh, you know, uh, it just blew me away. That was just a quiet moment that, that just uh, really touched me. Amen. I, I give you a, a, a story of how the Lord worked. Uh, when we went to the village to feed the 140 families, of which Josh shared, 20 of them were Muslim families, and we said, if we feed the Christians, we'll feed the Muslims too, because we want them to know there's a God that loves them. And so while we were there feeding those families, the mayor of the village, you have to have contact with the mayor of the village to get into the village, uh, heard that like we wanted to go to El Kosh. Now, if you read Nahum chapter 1 and verse 1, Nahum was a prophet in the Old Testament. It says this in Nahum 1, a prophecy concerning Nineveh, which is Mosul, from Nahum the Elkoshite. We wanted to go to um, El Kosh because this is the city where Nahum lived and prophesied in the Old Testament and was buried there. But you can't get into the, the city because... It's a conservative, they use the word conservative, protective city. In fact, ISIS tried to take Nahum, or El Kosh, tried to take the city, and it couldn't. On numerous occasions, the children and the, and the, the moms left, and the men stayed and fought, and they could not take the city. They wanted to take the city. Finally, the families came back to the city. We wanted to go there. So the mayor from Accra, where we fed these families, calls the mayor from El Kosh and says, I have this group of Americans that wants to get in. Will you give them permission to get into your city? And because of the good deed that we had done there, they let us in. Now, we had never been to El Kosh, nor were we familiar completely how to get there from where we were at, nor did our driver, whose name was Safe, who was very far from Safe as a driver, and... I said this, but I prayed 13 times on one trip to make sure my salvation was secure. And I know you, and I know you can't lose your salvation, but I'll tell you. Um, but as we were driving there, every stop that we were at, Insop, who sat up front, and Safe were asking, El Kosh, El Kosh, El Kosh. And so they would just point down the road, down the road, down the road, down the road. And I'm being, they didn't know how to get there. We had to be back that night for a youth service that night, and, but we wanted to go to El Kosh. We felt like, wow, it could be great to be where Nahum prophesied. So we're driving along, 
And we, I'm serious, probably asked 10 to 15 people, and they just kept pointing that way. So we just kept going that way. We came to a checkpoint, which, which always had guards with ARs or AK, AK-47s. And as we were going to, came up to this checkpoint, Safe asked the question, uh, you know, El Coach, there was a guy, kid you not, was seated on a bench right by the guard station like this, and he heard Safe ask El Coach, he said, El Coach, that's where I live. He said, I've been waiting for a ride to get to El Coach. <laughs> I kid you not. We let this man who was, God had orchestrated, we're driving along, this man had been waiting prior to us wanting to go there, was waiting for someone to come along. He hops in our bus, sat beside me on the bus, took a selfie of the two of us, because a bunch of Americans, he was with a bunch of Americans, took us right to the city, drove us right there. Only our God could do that. And once we got there, it was such an incredible place to be for many reasons, because Iraq is so rich in biblical history. Like I said, it's the Garden of Eden. It's Tigris and Euphrates River. And we walked into the city where one time Nahum the prophet prophesied. And we stood on the very grounds, 2,700 years old or 3,200 year old city, where the Lord spoke and a book was written and we went to his tomb. We could see where his tomb was. And it, I opened up the book of Nahum and I read to our group from Nahum chapter 1. And it felt like the words were just real as we stood on the very ground that Nahum had spoken these words. I mean, even down to that fine little detail, we just wanted to go there. God said, I'll get you there. I'm going to place a man by checkpoint. You don't know he's there, and he's been waiting for a while. But because I'm in sovereign control of your journey, when you get there, he's going to be there, and he's going to take you right to the place you need to be. We had that happen over and over and over on this trip. All that to say this, we believe with all of our hearts that God is the God of this city in Goshen and longs to be, and we long for him to be the God of the city of Iraq and the country of Iraq. And Chris Tomlin wrote a song a few years back that asking that he would, God would be God of the city, and we're about to sing that song, but I'm going to ask you to do something. As you sing this song, sing it as a prayer and declaration to God that not only will he be God of Goshen, but he'll be God of Iraq. Would you stand with me as we pray? And then our worship teams will come out and we'll sing this last song as a declaration to our God. Lord, we love you. You are so good, God. Thank you for the safety and protection you had on our families here and, and us in uh, Iraq. Thank you for the divine appointments that we have. Thank you for the church that's flourishing under persecution. We pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray that you would supply all their needs. We pray that you'll supply the, 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 the money that they need to build a new church because it's busting at the seams. And we pray, God, that it would be a mooring point of hope and that the Christian Missionary Alliance Church there in Erbil would be a place where people would run to Jesus Christ. Please, God. Thank you, God, that you have the ability to move in a powerful way. And as we sing the song, may we be reminded that you are God of the city and you can be God of the country of Iraq too. In Jesus' name, amen.